Hi, everyone. I'm Samira Daswani, the host of the podcast, The Patient from Hell. I am incredibly excited for today's episode. It's on a topic that I don't think uh, I personally would have imagined a year ago having an episode on, which is why I'm particularly excited about it, because I think it is a topic that is both uh, interesting for me intellectually, but also I think has the uh, experience of it being kind of in the cutting edge of next generation of the types of therapy I'd imagine that we would be uh, start to see in the oncology world. So with that, I'm going to welcome Dr. Sonia to our uh, podcast. Dr. Sonia, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you so much, Samira, for having me here. So I believe you just came back from India, uh, specifically mm-hmm. Goa. So one, mm-hmm. uh, two days from being back, I cannot imagine recording an episode uh, and being not as jet-lagged as you are. So uh, <laughs> I'd love to actually start there. So can you talk about your global experience? Because you work in a lot of different countries and now you're here in the U.S. So what brought you here? Uh, yeah, you have described it very well, Samira, global experience. Still a few years ago, I used to think myself, why have I been globetrotting? You know, and uh, then the purpose uh, showcases itself, especially um, our move to United States. So. Uh, Just in brief, I have been a curious soul, I would say, since childhood, adventurous as well. And I always wanted to somehow study abroad. And that opportunity came and I did my medicine from Russia, studied in a completely new language, which was exciting at that age. Of course, when you are 18, you can, you know, conquer the world, literally. And uh, coming back to India and uh, practicing as a fresh physician, uh, entering into the medical world, uh, getting married, going to Singapore, uh, practicing there, moving to Dubai, another decade of practicing. And till then, I was literally, I would say, a a happy-go-lucky medical professional who just loved what she was doing. Till there were some challenges which hit close to home, uh, my mom getting cancer, and uh, she fought it like a tigress twice, ovarian cancer she had, and I was, uh, you know, her shadow, I I was everywhere, I I saw the journey a cancer patient goes through, uh, being next to my mom, Mm. and coming out of cancer, it was the invisible, I, I want to use the word demon, because at that time, it was a demon for me, it was depression, which was invisible yet so powerful that it it just completely you know shifted the personality of my ever so jovial mother and I was married I was in Dubai and she used to narrate to me that she's not feeling good and then she started to talk about that there there are these thoughts these dark thoughts to end my life and you know I, I feel I have been always a very optimistic person and we don't want to think of the worst ever. And she was on medication. She was on antidepressants. And like any other medical doctor, I thought, it's okay. She is on medications. Till my father called me that fine morning, which was, you know, when the, the ground completely uh, shattered for the entire family, I would say, that she tried to commit suicide by jumping from the fourth floor of the building. And uh, 
how she survived is miraculous now mm. when i look back i understand what that episode did her her fall was broken by a parapet and literally it was you know no bones were broken just on the face the the nose teeth and there was a big gash on the forehead and uh, i rushed to india you know she she recuperated from that but her nose was deformed hmm. her beautiful face because of the nose was deformed and looking at her face reminded me of being a failure as a doctor i just took it so personally i think you know when trauma hits all of us see it in our own light and we feel guilty that i missed something and we did surgeries but every time this nose would not be okay and i confided after almost a year to my dad that i i feel so bad that it was my mistake i missed something and he was like you don't know right now what happened it happened for a reason and you will know and that is where the doctor in me was not satisfied writing prescriptions i truly felt that we are missing something huge in the medical field we are not looking at a patient in the holistic way which we should be so i'm talking of mainstream medicine of course and that is when hypnotherapy happened to me hmm. and samira that was i i cannot describe this is 10 years ago i i talk about this topic this subject it just lightens me up because it has given me a new light a new direction a new purpose understanding human mind especially the power of the subconscious mind what i was studying as a student made me think why the hell literally this subject is not taught in medical school why we doctors don't know about this why we don't know what is the emotional impact on the physical health of a person why psychology and physiology are treated differently and all these whys opened up a new door and you know i started practicing both hypnotherapy and traditional medicine in my clinic in dubai i was the only doctor i think who was doing that and patients were lining up and you know amazing shifts were happening medication reductions were happening patients were feeling joyful without being on prescriptions you know the the true health holistic well-being i would say was uh, very evident and from there it was like okay i have hit the glass ceiling i think the next step is ready and that was united states you know it's like the big dream let's go to us let's start fresh and i now proudly say that uh, i am a doctor who has let go of a stethoscope because i treat my patients purely through the power of mind and that is what has happened since last 5 years being in united states and uh, a very joyful and very rewarding journey so far thank you for sharing that i have so many questions for you before we can ask awesome. go, go to the uh, natural place where this episode is going to go which is hypnotherapy and mm-hmm. if you're open to it i'd love to talk about absolutely more about your mom's experience Mm-hmm. because i do think that the mental health aspect of both cancer patients the family and survivorship is we don't talk about it yes uh, so if you don't mind let's talk a little bit more about it but before we do that sure. can you tell me a little bit more about where your mom was because i think she was in india right when this was happening yes she was she was in india we are three sisters all three of us were married and uh, all outside india 
and uh, but at that time when this was happening one of my sister she was visiting them and i told my family my father my sister do not leave her alone mm-hmm. and you know when something has to happen it's like just that 5 minute where you're going downstairs to get some groceries or something and something took over she still would say that i have no recall of what i did why i did it it was as if she was you know in in uh, uh in the grip of a mental program which was not in her conscious awareness hmm. um can you talk a little bit more about mental health and if you can or want to talk about mental health as it pertains to india hmm um my recent experience because i've just come from home i was asked so many questions by um fellow countrymen mm-hmm. that you know uh, you have gone to united states you are touching new horizons there you are receiving warm reception and success there why are you in india and i was like i'm an indian of course i want to come back home and my journey started with my mom and i wanted to give this gift which i now feel i have through this retreat this healing program which we have initiated for cancer survivors i wanted my mom to go through it mm-hmm. so that full circle happened this time in goa and uh, you know what i saw in uh, the the group the people and as we were trying to promote this the awareness about mental health is now warming up people are now slowly opening up not at all as how it is in united states i'm i'm pretty sure you know about that as well it's still a hush hush when we spoke of cancer survivors and the depression anxiety and all the things they go through people did not want to acknowledge it in india they were like i'm done with this i can live my life in a shadow but i don't want to see that word ever again so there there was some resistance but of course we had amazing success because as i was sharing with you the participants who uh, enrolled for this they were all of them were mostly above 70 so you know our our parents age group i don't know if it was my mom's blessing which got this group right there but i thought that wow will they be open to a modality they don't know of mm. will they be open to perhaps find a closure towards their past in this stage but it was amazing samira mm. they all came in completely open minded they all opened up and literally in four days we saw new energy field in each and every person sitting in front joyful tears mm. energy of hope a new you know a sense of trust towards life mm. appearing in just 4 days mm. uh so i'm going to i'd love to talk a bit more about that so if you're okay with sure. it i want to sort of absolutely stigma uh cancer in india and uh maybe i can share a bit about kind of my my experience with it uh-huh. is when i got diagnosed I was very public about it from the very get go. I I wasn't telling the world I was diagnosed, but I wasn't hiding yeah. that I was diagnosed. It was kind of this like, well, right. if it's relevant and you're in my life, of course I'm going to tell you. That was definitely not the case for my family. And not because my parents were not willing to talk about it. I think they were still navigating 
how to tell people that there is that moment of like how much do you reveal, how much do you not reveal. This was COVID yeah. year. We actually didn't tell my grandfather. So my granddad did not know that I got diagnosed. And um and I understand it. I, I, I actually never told him that either because I, I think mm. the belief was he 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 loved me a lot and I don't think he could have mm. handled it and people were worried mm. about him not being behind. So that mm. was one one aspect of it. The second aspect mm. of it is of course, since me being fairly public about my experience, my family's become public about the experience. Mm. And what we have started seeing in India is within if you are able to capture the person into the cancer community people mm-hmm. actually want the community mm-hmm. but until you're able to pull them into the community it is all within the hush hush corridors of the community right every like i mean yes the, i mean i'm just gonna pick on breast cancer right one of the most common types of cancers in women yeah yeah how many female breast cancer people do i know who are indian maybe under under five yeah which is which is that's just not possible right like the numbers just don't support that so the reason i talk about that is i think cancer alone is stigmatized so if you just look at that it's stigmatized then we look at mental health just broadly speaking mental health i would argue it's very similar in india yes it's changed yes there's now therapy yes you have psychotherapists who are providing care yes there's access to antidepressants and yes all that is happening but it is very nascent in that country Totally. And let's forget suicide for a second. I mean, talking just straight up vanilla depression, not that there is mm. depression, but like just straight up mm. MDD, major depressive disorder, mm. is still mm. not fully accepted in our community. Yes. Now, when we intersect the two, which mm. is you look at cancer and you look at mental health, I just I don't even know where you begin, to be completely honest. I don't know where you start with yeah. that because there is so much uh, cultural baggage that is existing at least from my experience in our in our community that i don't even know where you start with that and i think that's actually to some extent true in the u.s as well i don't think india is that different than the u.s it's just Mm. culturally we're talking very different societal structures we're talking about different ways that you interact with life and people and embrace private versus public like i I think those things are different so i'd love for you to react to that because i think if I just imagine your mom being in India, I think she was at this intersection. And I think being in either camp is hard than being at the intersection is, I mean, I, I generally yeah. don't know how you navigate that. Yeah, I mean, and uh, again, in her age group, I would say when you are feeling that way, it is the awareness is such, oh, come on, shake it off. Mm-hmm. You've got everything. What are you depressed about? Correct. But only when you understand this disease, you understand that the person cannot shake it off. It is real. It is very real. But because there is lack of awareness, even the family members or friends don't know how to actually help out this person. And then the person starts to shut off because no one is understanding. Yes. And she found that voice with me because I was in the medical field. Mm. So she could express it to me. And that is where I personally took it on me that Mm. I failed, Mm. that I was maybe not understanding the severity of it and not thinking that this will happen. Mm. But I I completely agree with you, Samira. This, you know, the campaign which we had to bring it to India, it took a lot of force Mm. and energy to say, hey, 
it's not just cancer you need to literally you have to thrive you have survived you have to thrive and you know the truth so please come out and hold our hands because we are coming for you and you very correctly said that when you create that community of survivors they open up yeah but otherwise they are like don't pinpoint me i i just want to merge with the society and just go on with life hmm uh so i guess my follow up to that is how how did you end up in hypnotherapy like how did you discover that as a modality so this is you know how we say that um uh, when you seek you find so when all of this happened with my mom and i had questions as a doctor uh, um, and that curious mind was always active i used to call myself a chronic learner till hypnotherapy happened i i was perhaps searching you know my soul was searching for something and uh, a colleague of mine uh, told me that uh, there is someone uh, doing this uh, teaching course in hypnotherapy and i had read some articles about hypnotherapy working on fear of flying smoking and i was fascinated by the subject so when she said someone is teaching it i was like i want to sign up and that's it that one class hmm. turned me around completely and i was like i am in it for good hmm. and the journey is continuing hmm. from there hmm. um okay so let's maybe start with uh i think you know this about me which is i i'm just a very <laughs> very skeptical human being uh, <laughs> i just show up that way uh there's a reason our podcast is called the patient from hell i'm skeptical <laughs> of western medicine i'm skeptical of eastern i'm just skeptical across the board uh i just show up i need to understand i i it's how i show up uh curious i i would see it as very curious which is fascinating for me i have been there <laughs> I think that's definitely I am very curious. Uh, I also yeah. have a high bar on like what I end up believing or I don't. Sure. Um so the reason I wanted to go there is because I think the I think I probably in in this case representing a decent chunk of the population which is you hear hypnotherapy and you go uh, what are we talking about and this cannot possibly be something that is real, right? So I mm. in my head I think I don't know like magician on stage mm. providing hypnosis and then the crowd i mean the person who's getting hypnotized is then you know made to do a hilarious hum- somewhat humiliating act and that's clucking like a chicken oh clucking like a chicken or something yeah. you know that's yeah. art which may or may not be yeah. real which may or may not be kind of a right or acting on stage right so mm-hmm. uh, can you help us understand i i know that's not what you're talking about uh but can you help us understand the difference between that and what it is you're talking about sure so uh it's it's fascinating for me to you know when when you enter into a subject and you understand it from the depths and then you see what all it can do and then you view the perception which the outside world has it is again uh super fascinating i'll use the same word because how media and entertainment how much impression they can create on the psyche of humanity hmm. is mind blowing because uh, what you see in you know movies or stage shows or magicians doing it's called stage hypnosis hmm. it is uh, used for entertainment but what is completely not known about this particular word is that uh, 
it belonged to the medical field. It has a history of over 300 years being mm. in the medical field. So when you now, after the podcast, perhaps go and Google hypnosis and, you know, the, the connection with the medical field, you will see it going back in the 1700s where um, a physician may, named Mesmer started to use this, some magnetism he used to call it, where his patients would come out of hysteria, psychosis, and he started using the practice, which fascinated other physicians and surgeons. And in those times, there was no anesthesia and the mortality rate in surgery was very high because patients used to die of pain. And these surgeons started using hypnosis to perform surgeries, including amputations. Hmm. And this is where the medical field completely took over because they were fascinated by the human psyche and the subconscious, understanding the placebo effect, understanding auto-suggestions, how the patients were responding when they were given a medication with a suggestion that this is going to work for you and miraculous healings were seen. Till World War II happened and the magicians took it away. Hmm. And I, I usually say that, uh, especially post-COVID, yeah. There is a lot of awareness. There is there is a shift in human consciousness. And, you know, people are wanting more answers, including the medical side. Doctors are yearning and searching for more as mm. well. And there are many physicians like myself who are now coming back to retrieving what belonged to us, which is hypnosis. Human mind, I mean, we humans, we call ourselves social animals. Our, our biggest strength is the cognitive capability to think, our mind. This is our biggest resource. But right now it has become the biggest curse, as people say, the mental illness and all of that stuff. But if it can cause the illness, it also has the program to cure it. So most fascinating, most powerful resource, most underutilized resource and hypnosis is uh, rather hypnotherapy. I will talk about the difference between the two because that is also misunderstood uh, many times. Hypnosis is a state, an altered state, which we humans experience almost on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So many times since childhood, mm -hmm. each one of us mm -hmm. has experienced this. Like, let me give you an example. Um, has it ever happened to you that you are, you know, uh, driving on a very usual route of yours and you are very deep in your thoughts and you don't even realize when you reached home. It's like altered state. Or you are watching a concert or uh, you are in theater and you are so mesmerized with the performance that the world ceases to exist for you. Playing music, listening to music, you are in a very different awareness. This yeah. is the state of hypnosis. This is where a person is away from the conscious thinking and is in a state where they are in the subconscious, connected with, you know, beautiful memories, energies, or whatever you call. But it's the same place has our biggest baggage as well. What's the difference between that state and, uh, I'm forgetting the author's name, um, the author who wrote the book Flow? Hmm. Uh, because there's also flow state, right? Which is where you go into that kind of—I uh, don't want to say focus, but it's not quite that. Where you're so in resonance with 
what you are doing that you kind of lose track of time. You sort of lose track of everything around you. You're sort of within this, I want to say almost like this bubble area for a while. Yeah. What's the difference yes. between that and what you're talking about? It's it's all the same. Somehow we have stayed away from using the term hypnosis. Hmm. Hypnosis is in everything, Samira. Hmm. When you meditate, where are you? Hmm. When you are actually, you know, uh, in uh, daydreaming, yeah. where are you? Hmm. It's it's all of these states where your actual reality ceases to exist. Hmm. You are in trance, hmm. and it is self-inflicted. Sometimes I tell people that, you know, people who have gone through traumas and have yeah. the diagnosis of PTSD, yeah. you actually have to de-trance them. They are living in trance. That trauma is over. So you, you don't always have to say that, oh, you are taking me in transfer. No, no, no. I, I often tell them I'm actually de-trancing you because your reality is different right now and you're not even mm. seeing it. I'm bringing you to the present. Hmm. You have lost yourself hmm. in that past. Hmm. So it's there are different ways to understand this, hmm. but because of the stigma with the word, hmm. because of the entertainment industry, because of the word mind control, hmm. people don't want to use this. And there are many other similar words which have come up, but it is the state of trance. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so maybe let's go from there to hypnotherapy versus hypnosis. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So uh, when you do therapy in this state, it's called hypnotherapy. So hypnotherapy is like, you know, a difference between cognitive mm -hmm. therapy yeah. and hypnotherapy would be yeah. you are consciously talking about huh. an issue with huh. the person. And I guess you uh, might agree with me as I have seen uh, being a physician as well. When someone starts therapy, it's almost like an ongoing thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like years and years people are going and when they are too full, they need to see their therapist to vent out yes. and then continue with their life. Yes. So the difference in hypnotherapy and cognitive behavioral therapy is in hypnotherapy, we go to the root cause mm. of what is actually boiling and steaming inside of you that mm. you continuously need to vent out. Mm. You go to that burner to mm. turn off the flame mm. to mm. understand how and where it started and it's getting triggered again and again. And you are holding on to this baggage of these emotions, which yeah. you need to vent out. And now you're going to your therapist to vent it out. Hmm. But it is a process to deflate, not exactly reaching to the core issue. So hypnotherapy as a modality is very, it has very clear boundaries. It is not forever. You come with a goal. That goal is delivered through experiences which are somewhere lost like a maze in mm. your subconscious. Mm. And I say that your subconscious is like the hard disk mm. and life experiences sometimes create corrupted files, mm. you know, emotions which we are unable to digest. And we say, okay, done and dusted. Yeah. I move on. No, but that, that mm. energy is still bleeping in the subconscious. So we go to press control or delete to reboot your system. Literally. Hmm. And it is very definitive. It is very clear cut, goal oriented, very focused therapy. Hmm. And um, the results are magnificent. As I said, you know, being in this, I'm like, every human being should know about this, that the resources are within all the logical answers to your illogical questions are on your own hard disk. Hmm. Let's go there and read your own manual, which is inside of you. So it's fascinating and it has very, you know, deep uh, understanding spiritual part as well, Samira, which uh, 
you know, many people would ask, what, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Why did this happen to me? But we keep on asking and seeking answers outside when the answers are inside. Mm. And that's where your subconscious zone is, uh, you know, mm. the, the decoding area where you need to go. I, I want to ask, maybe draw two parallels because... Mm-hmm. I had a suspicion we would end up in this and I was thinking about it in prep for our conversation today. Okay. When I was thinking about, uh, you, you and I've had a couple of conversations, right? And mm-hmm. I look and there are, it, it strikes me as there are parallels between what you are describing and two other fields that are sort of mm-hmm. different. The first right. is, um, is psychedelic based therapy. Right. Right. So when I hear you talk about reboot the system, yes. hard disks are corrupted files. Uh, yes. Is this like you go into like quote unquote deep into the mind and the subconscious yes. and you're sort of like not you're, you're almost like fixing it. I say that in sort of air quotes. I don't mean actual fixing yeah. it, but there is a way of like dealing with trauma and there is a way of dealing with uh, other sort of mental health related issues. It sounds a lot like what we are now starting to see with ketamine based therapy with. Uh, mushrooms with the use of um, MDMA and addressing people. Totally. So there seems to be a lot of parallels there. So that's that's one. The second actually uh, starts to intervene into kind of where you were going with it, which is spirituality. And mm. the closest thing I have found that sort of bridges the world of like a true, true India yogi meditation mm. and mm. Western evidence-based clinical trial land is the work mm-hmm. of John Kabat-Zinn and mm-hmm. mindfulness-based stress reduction and all right. of his work on how to use the power of the mind to go into these like altered mental states to deal with uh, trauma and in his case, pain, uh, specifically when it comes to a piece of cancer population. So I'd love for you to right. talk a bit about, um, have you seen these parallels? Are these like essentially different modalities that address the same thing? Are they doing different things? A little bit more on kind of how how does hypnotherapy and or hypnosis, uh, how does it compare contrast with psychedelic assisted therapy and or with mindfulness-based stress reduction? So I, I would say that, you know, uh, in many ways, these are the, the spokes of the same umbrella. But because we uh, humans all are at a different level of consciousness. So to some, this resonates, to some, that resonates. But the end goal is to go within because the answers are within. What we have felt and we have lost track of is we have been searching outside. So you talk about mindfulness or psychedelics or hypnotherapy. It's, it's all taking you where the issue is, which we try our best to run away from. You know, the defense mechanisms and coping ways and all of that. It's like anything but here. Yeah. And the, the beauty with the, the psychedelics is that if at all it is that therapy is, again, uh, taken into consideration and it is a guided experience. It is it is a spiritual experience. Hmm. But what is the risk of that? And again, seeing how it is being used right now by the younger generation, it is more for an entertainment purpose. Hmm. It's more, again, to run away from the stresses hmm. of life. And the, the uh, main risk is dependency on psychedelics now. Hmm. 
which again is not the solution. Mm. So that is that very thin wall where, you know, we are that, yes, it is amazing, but how are you using it? Do you understand, you know, as, as Spider-Man says, with power comes responsibility. <laughs> so it's like, okay, there, there is that therapist, that, that psychedelic, but do you know what you are actually trying to achieve mm. through this? Is there someone navigating mm. you through this? Mm. And are you okay to let go of the crutches when you are ready to run? Mm. Or you will continue to walk your life on these crutches? Mm. So these are, you know, uh, different ways I would see this. And the parallel which you are drawing is, uh, is, is completely right. It, it is a different buffet. Who wants what? What resonates with whom? Yeah, these are these are different uh, flavors available out there. Which one you pick and choose, but the journey is, as I said, it's to go within and to understand your own issues from a different perspective. Dr. Sonia, I'd, I'd love for us to make it more, uh, how do I say this, not, not so much theoretical because we've been kind of mm-hmm. in this theoretical underpinning, but if you don't sure. mind giving some examples of... Uh, what what are we talking about? So let's just take survivors. Right? Sure. Let's take cancer survivors. Uh, in what what exactly are we talking about here? Um, and if you don't mind giving us an example or a couple of examples, I think that would be great. Sure. So let me talk about both sides. Of a person who is dealing with chronic disease, for example, you know, whenever a chronic disease diagnosis is made for the patient, the first thing which comes to the person is that now I'm dependent on medications for life mm-hmm. and I have to cha- make major changes in my lifestyle. So it, it is a, in a way a trauma in its own self. You talk about you know uh, having a gut issue or you talk about hypertension, diabetes, all of these are chronic issues which completely bind you with medication and the medical world. So let's take one example of a case which I had where everything was tumbling down with one diagnosis this patient got and she always mentioned herself as a anxious person Mm -hmm. and she said that she had um, IBS diagnosed for a long time uh, till there were stressors in life and now she started having gastric reflux as Mm -hmm. well and of course going to her primary physician um, endoscopy was done. There was a small ulcer. There was a bacterial infection, H. pylori. And the treatment in the medical world for H. pylori is very, very, you know, strong. Antibiotics. You have to take weeks and weeks of antibiotics. And the word introduced in the person's or the patient's psyche was, if you don't treat this, this can be precancerous. And that's it. You know, yeah. and In her reality, she had a friend of hers who had stomach cancer and she was battling stomach cancer. So now imagine just this, a very primitive, you know, just a suggestion the doctor gave, how, what impact it had on her. And she's like, no, I'm in it. I I want all the treatment. Now, the more antibiotics she's taking, the more her IBS is worsening. The more her IBS is worsening, she is losing her sleep because now Every time she's out there in the real world, she has to look for restroom. She cannot, she was a teacher and she, you know, she cannot teach properly. She cannot socialize. And there is no solution the medical world is able to give her. And now there is depression. Mm. Another prescription comes in. This is the stage she reached me. Mm. That one after the other, the ground is slipping underneath my feet. And I don't know what to do. 
my physical health it started with now it is affecting the mental health and it is worsening the physical health and we started working as, as i said going within going to the root cause and uh, her case is in my book and uh, you know uh, this this uh, uh, was uh, the therapy was done a few years ago and where she is now when she reads her own case study she's like i don't recognize this person because where she is right now there is hardly any prescription dependency she can eat what she wants to eat sleep is beautiful she is socializing she is you know enjoying life like any young woman should and there is no uh, binding factor related to the mental physical and the medical world which is restricting any aspect of her life and this happened i think her uh, when we worked when we started working on her this was eight sessions eight sessions samira this person was losing hope on life starting with ibs and gastritis this is how the tumbling down effect can be and it is real it is very very real in the you know in patients we see or in the social gathering or in friendships you see people are struggling through this migraine for example people who go through migraine they know how debilitating it is it just stops them from living in that moment and there is no cure so doc doc here's where i'm struggling with this so so the patient mm. story uh, very real i i mean i can come up with like eight examples just from my own mm. lived experience that that mm-hmm. so that feels very real but the so like the problem feels very real the solution feels very miraculous so now now the the place i'm struggling is when we think about how like and i'm i'm asking to put the clinical hat on right like you're an md yes. you're like trained as a clinician yeah there is at least in the us a very specific bar mm-hmm. that is held for what qualifies as a quote unquote medical intervention and what does not mm-hmm. right and that bar mm-hmm. is held i mean i'm just going to like simplify it which is mm-hmm. in order to be quote unquote evidence based in the context of western medicine you need to have demonstrated that an intervention has successfully demonstrated statistically significantly different results in a presumably randomized control trial yes right and for yes. interventions psychotherapy doesn't quite fall into this bucket but for interventions i'm just going to pick on a drug to yeah. be given to the public it has to go through the fda yes. now when we hold that bar up I'm going to pick on a not psychotherapy or mental health n- nothing in that world I'm going to use something in nutrition mm-hmm. a lot of things that we know have evidence they they don't actually hold up to the bar that we are talking about to be truly included in clinical practice right right I'm going to pick on something super, super like I'm actually going to intentionally pick on something that I think the body of evidence is actually very compelling but you see very spotty adherence to use right vitamin d mm-hmm. levels mm-hmm. vitamin d supplementation tons and tons mm-hmm. and tons of evidence to show that in a whole variety of cases supplementing and ensuring that your vitamin d levels are up to kind of a certain threshold is right. almost necessary to address things like fatigue and to address things like um exhaustion to exi- in, in in the oncology world lots of use yeah. of vitamin d right but even that if you look at actual clinical practice it's incredibly spotty and yeah. that is something that would never go through the fda as a quote unquote drug mm. but from a supplement perspective actually has a pretty i would argue robust body of evidence behind it right now when we hold that bar up against something like 
hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. How do you wrap your head around that? Because I, I genuinely struggle with that because I, for me, it's like, I, for, personally, I will experiment with anything because I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm a scientist. I can experiment. I, I can figure out whether it works for me individually or not. So mm-hmm. that's, that's my personal reaction to anything that is not quote unquote evidence-based. However, right. I, I think for the broad population, I, I do think that we need to maintain a bar yeah. that uh, does some version of quality control isn't quite the right word, but some version of um, what meets this bar is then rolled out to the public, right? So right. I'd love your reaction on that, wearing your clinical hat. And when we're talking yeah. about something like hypnotherapy. Yeah. So the again, the surprising thing is that when you research or when you search this word research in hypnosis and hypnotherapy, there is so much work which has already been done in last few decades because we have been curious to bring this modality back into the medical field. Many successful researchers have done this and the focus has been pain management. The focus has been anxiety, depression. And when you specifically dive into hypnosis, hypnotherapy in oncology, starting from the diagnostic procedures to the treatment, to the quality of life in survivors, there have been researches established already showcasing the efficacy of the power of mind, but somewhere I feel maybe I'm not sure this is a drug-free treatment. This is tapping on your own resources. You know, if the humanity learns this, where are we going to go? We are not going to be dependent on the pharma. So it's like, you know, handful of doctors who are fighting for this, who are bringing this research forward. My own project, which I'm doing for survivors, I call it measurable healing, because as you correctly said, we need to wear that that clinical hat to showcase this is evidence-based. So we are doing our own research. And so so far it is a small group. We want to uh, have at least a you know, global um, survivor population enrolled in this. But what we are seeing right now in this smallest of time frame, we are seeing 84% reduction in anxiety already. And this research will be published very soon once it is over. So there is research evidence. This modality is evidence-based, but the research has been done, of course, in specific zones. Say, for example, you might have heard about uh, the research with uh, hypnosis and IBS. It is very well established. And in, you know, in Mayo Clinic or in Stanford, doctors are recommending IBS and hypnosis as a treatment. Mm-hmm. Smoking cessation, I myself am right now... Um, in connection with a medical institute in uh, in Louisiana, where the oncologists are feeling frustrated that the population who gets diagnosed with head and mouth cancer, they continue to smoke. Isn't that sad? Cancer is diagnosed still. They cannot let go of cigarettes. And mm. the physicians, the surgeons are, you know, uh, the, the head of the department, she read my book and there is a chapter written about um, smokers because there is a psychological hook which is not letting them quit. And she's like, the chemotherapy efficacy reduces, radiation efficacy reduces because of smoking. Let's do a research on this. Can Mm -hmm. we work, can we showcase the efficacy of hypnotherapy on oncology patients, Mm post-diagnosis, quitting to smoke? 
So that project is ongoing. So a lot of good stuff is happening. But what I'm trying to say is there is evidence already existing in these certain pockets where usually you would prescribe medications indefinitely. There is a good research available. So, so there are actually two things. So I think after our first conversation, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of uh, what exists out there. Uh, <laughs> kind of what I do. Uh, and yeah, there, there is research. I do think there is research. I, I don't think there is lack of research. I think my question is more, what is the bar? And I think you're getting at it, right? Which is the, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I think the bar we use for medication mm-hmm. I think needs to naturally be different than the bar we use for therapy. Because right. if you think about the um, risk-benefit analysis of mm-hmm. let's just say on chemotherapy because we're talking about mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. there actually is significant risk when you take a chemo drug. It, it is right. not, not toxic. There is a downside to chemotherapy as well, which is you do stack on both near-term and then long-term side effects. Right. That if with long-term use can actually be pretty debilitating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious from your perspective, how do you think about that with hypnotherapy? What is the risk associated with hypnotherapy? Well, it can you become go wrong. No, you just become more aware of everything. That's the risk because some people live in denial for their whole life. You just become more aware. There mm-hmm. is no other risk. As I said, you are sometimes not taking them in trance, you are detrancing them. You're detrancing them. You you are bringing them to the present. I'll give you an example of uh, a recent um, case during the survivorship program. This um, very sweet elderly lady who came in uh, after surviving. First, it was skin cancer. Then it was a brain tumor and she had a stroke. And her main complaint as a survivor was fatigue. And she said, when I asked her, you know, uh, score it. She said eight out of 10. And Mm. that stops her from being present. She has a beautiful family, kids, grandkids, you know, and she's like, I just don't have any energy to be with anyone. I just want to sleep off and let the day pass by me. And her daughter had worked with me. She, you know, she sensed amazing shifts in her own self. When I told her about this, Mm. she was first skeptical. I don't even know if mom can actually come because Mm. she's always so tired and I was like that is exactly the reason bring her because we Mm. need to de-trans her Mm. when you talk to this woman she would describe narrate to you in vivid of the memories how the diagnosis was made when stroke happened as if it's happening right now but when you talk to her about where she is right now it's a blur it was very clear that she Mm. is in Mm. the past three days once again the Mm. fatigue which was eight out of ten which was making her sleep almost Mm. you know 14 hours in a day this person was taking a walk by the beach one and a half miles she was climbing stairs her her daughter was like what has happened it was just coming to the present Mm. and that that is the power of mind it Mm. can take you and make you lose yourself but it can bring you back yeah. as well. But it has to be, you know, the, the, when you spoke about the bar, I feel what is lacking is specific protocols. 
So each person who will come into this modality will do their own understanding from where they have come. And that is where it can differ that, okay, what protocol did you use? What protocol did you use? So that needs to be navigated. And that is what I myself am trying to do in mm -hmm. this uh, program. We are, have created a protocol and we are studying this protocol. So this protocol can be duplicated anywhere with the percentage of shifts, which we are seeing. So yeah, I, I agree with you. The bar for me, I feel, yes, is, is the protocol. That's actually super helpful. I'm super glad you said that because I think that is something that, it, again, my very personal non-clinical clinician opinion is, I think that was a miss with CBT as well. Right. Where yes. if you, even today, when you go to different practitioners of therapy, you see a wide range of what is actually done in the clinic. Yeah. And as a patient, I... I love therapists. I have found my, like my people, like I, I'm, I'm very happy that way, but I did have to shop and, and the variability is actually quite surprising. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're right about the protocol and I love the protocol and I love the fact that it's finite because that's yes. the other piece, right? If, if a protocol yes. is infinite, yes. There's yeah. no exit loop, right? Where, where with the finite protocol, it is something that you can theoretically then measure and okay. demonstrate um, improvement or not improvement in a population. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, we could probably talk for hours, but I'm watching the clock and I'm realizing that I think we should probably wrap up. So my, my question actually is, um, you said something in the very, very beginning of the conversation I was hoping to go back to and like close out with because mm -hmm. we've sort of stayed laser focused on the patient so far and mm -hmm. the patient's IBS and a chronic condition and the patient, the survivor. But you said something that was, I, I thought so profound that I wanted to like underscore it, which was you use the words, I was my mom's shadow. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something in that that I'd love for you to talk about, which is the caregiver experience because we've spoken very much folks on the patient experience and one of the things that I know that my mom went through, because my mom was my shadow going through treatment, is that the impact on the caregiver is sometimes, I think, much worse than the patient. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because I know you, I know the program is for survivors. I know we're talking about protocols and evidence generation in the survivor population. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about the caregiver as kind of our wrap up um, oh. and close out our session with that. Sure. I, I am I'm so, so glad that you caught on that that one narrative which I had because um, to sum it all up, I would just say that when I entered into the modality to learn hypnotherapy, as a student, you are supposed to work on yourself. Hmm. And this is 10 years ago when I was called to the demo chair, my teacher asked me, so what issue do you want to work on, Sonia? This is obviously after my mom's cancer and everything, you know, and I was like, I don't think I have any issues. I, I'm fine. I'm just curious to learn this, you know, and everyone looked at me like, wow, is she in denial or what? And I caught that stare. I was like, what? I, I am fine. And I sat on that chair. I th thought of something and we worked on it. It has been 10 years from that. Hmm. I have been working on myself nonstop, hmm. nonstop. And many of those memories, which became my corrupted file comes from the caregiver experience. But, you know, we have, again, the coping mechanism to just brush it under the carpet. I have to be strong for her. Yeah. I have to be present for her. 
And yes. what about me? Well, I will take care of myself. Yeah. So caregiver burnout is real. Caregiver stress anxiety is very real. And uh, once again, I'm so glad that you're bringing it up because in India, we opened the doors for caregivers as well. We actually tried to convince them, come with the survivor because you need equal care. You know how we say on the airplane, put the mask first on your face and then on the next person. And they happily agreed and mm -hmm. they worked on themselves and they found so many things like how I said, we are in denial. And when you sense and when you close those things, your energy levels improve your sleep quality improves, your joy to live life improves, everything goes to the next level. And that is what they realized just in four days. Oh, wow, what was I missing on? So we are opening up this uh, project for caregivers as well, because this experience in India was very heartwarming to see both the sides equally healing together. Mm -hmm. And you know, moving forward, we are doing another run in October. And uh, this is what I was discussing with my team. We have to open it for caregivers. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for talking about this. I, I believe it will help a lot of people. Uh, thank you. Thank you yeah. for having me here and giving me this opportunity, Samira. Of course. Thank you so much, Safasanya. This podcast, show notes, and newsletter is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or any materials linked from this blog is at the user's own risk. The content here is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.